Good morning, church family. It's my delight and privilege again to bring God's Word to you. And indeed, we think of the blessing that we have, that we may have the very Word of the God who is eternal, who is sovereign, and who speaks to us through His Word. This morning, we turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll be reading the first few verses of that. Reminder that Hebrews 1 begins with that glorious picture of Jesus, exalted in the heavens, upholding the universe by the word of his power, and that then it sets before us Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was exalted far above all the angels, that for all their might and power, yet Jesus is far exalted above them. We pick up then in Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to that which we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So far, reading of Scripture. One of the great things about being grandparents is you can let your grandkids do some things you would never let your kids do. And when our grandchildren were little, they would come and they would want to build their fort in the living room. And they would take all the cushions and blankets and you name it, and they would be building their fort. And they would say, oh, I think we can do this, and I think we can make it higher and taller, and, and eventually it would collapse on them. And you'd say, well, it doesn't really matter. It, it's a little different with other things. We think of the building that's going up right beside us here. And you might say, well, let's make it bigger. Let's just stretch it out a little bit. And, and the architect would say, ah, that doesn't work. You can't do that. You can't take that beam away. If you do that, the building will be in danger of collapsing. There's a reality that you can't simply say, we just want it to look this way. We want to make it this way or this big without a reality that the structure can be supported. Now, how much more your life and my life, that we are building our lives We are building on what foundation? How are we building them? And our text reminds us that we are responding to the salvation that has been revealed. That we are building on that. And there is implicit in this text a warning. We think of those words. We must pay much closer attention because of what is at stake. So this morning we want to look at this text and we want to think about a greater revelation that gives to us a greater responsibility. That this is what is being compared, a past revelation to a greater one, and therefore the response, the responsibility that we have in regards to it. Now what was that? Revelation first given. Well, it was given, it says, that the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. 
Now, what message is it talking about there? That message of angels that was in connection to the giving of the revelation to Moses. That he received that will of God for all of God's people. And we don't read directly in there about the place of angels, but there are other places in Scripture that that teach us that there was some place, some position of the angels. In Psalm 68, verse 17, there is a description. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. So the angels were there, and again, Scripture does not give us an exhaustive treatment of angels. That's not its purpose. But that the angels were there in the might and the power. We see it again that Stephen, before he is martyred, gives testimony concerning that when he challenges the religious leaders who rejected Jesus and the message of the gospel. And he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And so there is that revelation that was given and it was reliable. It was testified. And every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution. There was provision in the law given by Moses that here was justice, here was the will of God. And there would be judgment, justice applied. Now, if this was true then, it goes on to speak of a greater revelation. Greater than God speaking in the testimony of all the angels who were with it. And we can remember from last time, what would be greater than the testimony of all these angels and all their majesty? It was Jesus who has a greater name. It was Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who took our nature. And it was that revelation. He is the revelation of God. He spoke God to us. He knew the mind and will of God. He was in perfect agreement with God the Father. They were one. And Jesus came, not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. John 5, verse 19, Jesus said the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. He had come to reveal God. And here's that greater testimony, that greater revelation. Jesus could say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. What an astounding claim. And what then do we see about the Father in Jesus? We see his character. We see his work. We see his love. We think of Jesus who had the right to all the respect and honor and glory in the world, and he comes and he serves because of his great love, of his kindness, of his compassion, 
when he saw sinners, when he saw crowds of sinners, did he despise them and think, look, they are unholy. No, he had mercy on them. He called them to himself. He taught them. He revealed the Father to them. He showed in his life, in his words, who God was, what he was like, a God of love. Yes, there was justice. Yes, there was a revelation that God is sovereign, that he is above all of his creation, and yet he delights in mercy. This is what Jesus was revealing of God, that we might know him, that we might see him, that we might experience him. And Jesus went through all the towns and he would preach in the synagogues and he would set forth God, not as he had been obscured by some of the religious leaders, but God as he revealed himself in the Old Testament as he was revealing himself now in his son, Jesus. And our text goes on to speak of that great revelation because it says it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard that the message, the revelation, was attested by the apostles. They were the ones trained by Jesus. They were instructed, they were taught, and they were promised that they would be given the Holy Spirit, that the things Jesus had taught them, they would be able to call to memory and be able to communicate to others. And here the writer is speaking about how he had heard it attested by the apostles. Jesus did not continue on the earth to declare to everybody that he was raised again from the dead. But no, it was to certain people. As Peter testifies in Acts 10, verse 40, he says, Jesus, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And they were now commissioned, they were sent to speak of Jesus, the revelation of God to people. And then our text goes on to say, God also bearing witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will, that as they went forth, the power of God accompanied them in these marvelous ways that this was not the wisdom of man. This was not some new teaching that they had discovered. This was the revelation of God accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles that the apostles were given that authority, that power, that it might be demonstrated to the world. Here is the word of of God, God revealing himself. The Apostle Paul, when he would defend himself at the church of Corinth, to that church, when others had come and said, well, who is this Apostle Paul? He's not so impressive. 
he would write and remind them, truly the signs of an apostle were accompanied, accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Here was God testifying that Paul indeed was a messenger of God. And we now have all of this recorded for us in Scripture. We have that revelation that is greater than what Moses received and gave to the people. Because we have the final word of God in Jesus who speaks that truth. That truth that He is the way, the truth, the life. That we find our reconciliation with God through Him. Now some might say, well... Yes, we have the Bible, we have all those words, but it would be wonderful to have been there, to have seen the signs and wonders and miracles. Then I would really be able to believe and have that full confidence. But the writer is giving this. The record we have is all sufficient. Jesus told the parable in Luke chapter 16. There is a rich man in Lazarus, and perhaps many of you know that parable. And the rich man dies and ends up in torment in hell. And he, at the end of the parable, he has this reasoning It's a backhanded way of excusing why he didn't believe. Because he he asked, as if he cared so much for his brothers, send Lazarus to them that they won't end up here. What's he implying? Well, if I'd had that happen, then I wouldn't be here. And the response is not, oh yeah, let's send Lazarus. They have Moses and the prophets. If they will not listen to them, they will not believe even if someone was raised from the dead. Think about that. The word of God that we have, its testimony, its revelation is sufficient. It shows to us our hearts. It exposes our sin. And it shows us Jesus who is the perfect righteousness, who is the one sent from the Father because of his love for the world. And we have the testimony of those who heard Jesus, who spoke of him, who were called and sent, and their words recorded so that we might have the fullness of that revelation, that we might see all of the Old Testament in light of the new as the apostles dealt with it as they preached as they set forth Jesus and said, here is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the promises of God. And the book of Hebrews delights to do that, and it will explore how Jesus fulfills, as prophet, priest, as king, all those promises that were given. And we have that greater revelation, greater than if all the angels would manifest and speak. 
But with that greater revelation comes a greater responsibility. A greater responsibility. There is a danger that is being warned against. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. Yesterday, my family had the chance to go to, wait a minute, I have to always look it up here, Ikatakni. Ikatakni, thank you. And, and we went there, and what do you do? You, you get in, the, in something to float in, and, and you drift down the river. And it, it's relaxing, it's peaceful, but you, you're there, and you close your eyes, and then a minute later, you open them and you look around and you go, wait, I'm somewhere different. You're further down there. And it seems like nothing happened. And this is what is being warned against. Those who had heard the message, those who had embraced it, they were in danger of drifting away from it. And you think about drifting, and it's sometimes almost imperceptible. And yet, you end up further and further away. And here, there is then a warning. And there are different warnings in the book of Hebrews. And you think, well, how does that fit together with the gospel? Isn't that good news? What do we have warnings for here? And you go to other places in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, chapter 6, and you say, wow, those are pretty fierce texts. But because of what is at stake, because of the greatness of the revelation, there is a warning given that it would not be neglected, that we would not drift away from it. And why is that a danger? Well, it goes in the past. We believe Jesus, and many times we, we are astounded because the gospel speaks to sinners. It shows us our enmity against God. It shows that we deserve judgment. And then the gospel says, Jesus is the hope. Jesus is a source by which you may be forgiven your sins and you may be cleansed. You may be made righteous in Him. And we think, how can that be? And we glory in it. But then time goes by. And life happens. And if we don't pay attention, we can drift away. Think of something that you may have learned in school. For you students who are still in school, it can be what you learned last year. You think, how much do you remember? Or for those of us who have been out of school a few years longer, we think about Somebody who comes, my grandchild comes and says, I need some help with math, Grandpa. And I go, um, I don't remember that. Why don't I remember? It's long ago. I, I haven't paid any attention to it. I, I don't re- yeah, there's some vague recollection, but I, I've drifted from that knowledge. And therefore, the text gives that implicit warning. Pay closer attention. Keep focused on it. 
a child who goes to his grandparent who's an engineer, says, I need help with math. And, oh, yeah, that's easy. Why? Because they've been dealing with math their whole life. They're using it all the time. And this is what is being implied here. We have a greater responsibility to pay attention. And if we think about that, to help you remember, think of, what the church here sets forth in a motto, to grow in the gospel and to go with the gospel. To grow in the gospel. This is what our text is calling us to do, to pay careful attention, to give heed to it, to listen, because there is that warning. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, if you're visiting here and you're not a believer, you might think, well, what's that salvation? I'm saved from my sin, so I'm safe, I'm secure, I can go to heaven and I can enjoy myself there. But that's not what Scripture sets before us as salvation. It is something that transforms us, our lives, our thinking. It takes us from a kingdom of darkness and transfers us to a kingdom of light. It makes us see the ugliness of sin and the beauty of holiness. This is what the gospel is about. And this is why there is that warning. How shall we escape? If that which came through glorious angels received just retribution, how much more when God in His Son sets before you and me the truth and we despise it, we neglect it, we drift away from it? Is there a danger to us? And that's why there is that warning. It is part of the care of the writer of Hebrews for those who read it. Think of some of the warnings that you may give to your children, your grandchildren. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. We're warning you. You're going to be suffering a long time. Don't drive recklessly. You could get killed. We're warning them. Are we not loving them? No, we are loving them. That's why we give the warning. And the same here in Scripture. God wants us to be aware that there is a real danger. And therefore, because of His love, He gives us that warning. And so, growing in the gospel means coming to understand more and more, first of all, who Jesus is to have that fellowship with Him. To think of our Savior. To think of His love, of His mercy. That He comes to me. That He calls me, that He desires this fellowship with me. That He has given His own life that I might live. And we meditate on that. And we delight ourselves in it. 
and growing in the gospel means that then every part of your life is lived in relationship to Jesus. It's not first, what can I get? How can I grow in authority and power and riches? But we begin to think, how do I live my life? How do I make my decisions that Jesus is honored and glorified? That he receives all praise. This is what it's about. And so when we work, when we play, when we fellowship, when we eat, when we drink, yes, even that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we begin to measure our lives, our plans, our hopes. And we say, how will this bring honor to Jesus? How can I live reflecting him? Jesus showed us God in his mercy, in his love, in his kindness. Do you show that to others? As you say, I belong to Jesus, and I am to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I am to think God's thoughts. you begin to see why the writer says we must pay that careful attention. We must pay closer attention because it can become routine. We've heard it all before. We've read it. We know the stories. And we are challenged. We are warned. Think about these things. About Jesus and about how his kingdom, his rule in my heart, in your heart, is to direct everything in your life. This is growing in the gospel, learning more and more, to be able to reflect it, to be able to live in that communion with God. And as we do that, there is the great encouragement of assurance, of God's love, of God's mercy. Later on, the writer of Hebrews will say, and we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That assurance that what we have believed is true. As we experience it, as we focus on it, as we think about these things. And so we have that responsibility to respond to this glorious gospel. It's not a gospel that says you can't have fun. You can't do anything that you would like. It says you do all things in light of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And then the responsibility not only to grow in the gospel, but to go with the gospel. That we have a testimony. If we have been changed by the love of God, if we have been transformed in Jesus Christ, 
we are to live differently. And we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. To those who can say, I have experienced the love of God. I know the forgiveness of my sins. And I have peace with God. And part of that going is witnessing in words, speaking to others. But it doesn't mean that the only way that we do it is to stand on the street corner and yell to people, repent and believe. So often it is going to be our character that provides the way that we may speak to others and give testimony. In your neighborhood, do people know that you are kind and ready to help? That you are not, first of all, thinking about yourself. That you're not difficult and ornery. That you, having experienced the love of God, can show it to others. Not only at church here where everybody is wonderful, right? But, But to those who are a little more difficult. Or to the neighbor who wants to complain. And yet you can love them. Because you have known a love that has come to you in Jesus when you did not deserve it. And we think about that our whole life, how we respond to others. That they would say, well, if I need help, I know I can go to that person. Or at work, that you have compassion on others. That when they have difficulties, they say, I I can come to you. I I know you'll pray for me. I'm not sure about all that, but I know you pray. Will you pray for me? What opportunities are given to us? As we think about our response and and our ability to shine that light into the darkness. To be able to say, this is what I have experienced. And here is the testimony that I have received. That God has revealed in Jesus Christ. That he has testified to his apostles that he has given it and he affirmed it and that it is recorded for us that we may see it. And now we live our lives in that peace and that comfort that we may say, here is the greatness of that revelation. And perhaps this morning you hear that warning not to drift away. Drifting is not so obvious. It's not that jarring, sudden change. It's that quiet drifting. When you don't take that time to think about Jesus, to read his word, to fellowship with his people, to encourage one another. And it happens once and twice. It becomes a pattern. And there is the danger. And the writer of Hebrews is not trying to say, bad person, get in line. He thinks about what you are missing. The fellowship, the opportunity. And he desires to to call people back and say, 
pay careful attention, that you might live in that, that peace, in that confidence, in that assurance because of what God has said in Jesus. That you may know that hope, that you may live in that hope and look forward to the day when you will see your Savior face to face. And so the writer gives to us the reminder of that greater revelation and the greater responsibility that we as children of God may live and act and delight to be His children. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we think of your great condescension to speak to us in Jesus, your Son, that he did not make great announcements from the heights of heaven, but that he came to earth and took our nature, that he would speak to us words of grace, of mercy, that he would instruct his disciples that they might be sent out as apostles those who would be heralds of the good news of the gospel. Oh Lord, I pray that we might know that gospel and that it might be transforming us in every part of our lives and that as we are conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, that it might be to the praise and glory of his name. We ask it in Jesus. Amen. <laughs>